and welcome to Coffee and Catholics, a Catholic women's talk show podcast. I'm Stacy, one of your hosts, and with me I have... Hi, I'm Alicia. I'm Annie. And I'm Lauren. Hello, and welcome to Coffee and Catholics. Today we are going to be talking about the feminine genius. And again, we have Father Christopher Bashirs with us today. It's great to be back. Thank you all for having me on. So some of the things that we're going to be discussing today with Father Bashirs is um, John Paul II's teachings on the feminine genius. So one of the things that I think is so beautiful that St. John Paul II did is that he really he took the great time and effort to outline something that was so crucial and necessary. And in a face, in, in facing the world, and he saw all of these problems and he tried to confront them the best he could. And I think he did marvelously here. And that is, he saw not only the world over-sexualized, and so he gave us the theology of the body to bring forth the truth in the middle of confusion. But so too did he see that there was also, uh, you know, a great confusion with this idea that men and women are equal. And he said, now hold on just a second. That's not the case at all. And in fact, if we sit there and say that, the equality wasn't being somehow equalizing the the leveling field. It was trying to make women do masculine things, to do manly things, and to compete as men do, um, to force them into the ways of manhood. And St. John Paul II said, absolutely not. Stop this. Now, where does he get off mansplaining all of this to everybody? Well, I think this was partially his tight and close relationship with our Blessed Mother. And when his mother died at a very young age, he ran to the church, to the front of this statue, and said, you must be my mother now. And he took her into his heart, and she into his. And, you know, this became this beautiful relationship of where he really learned from our Blessed Mother how to not only love her, but to love Christ and to love all the people through them. And so I think in that same motherly heart as our Blessed Mother revealed to him many things, she also revealed this great plan and and goodness that he had to offer. And so, you know, he lined out these four major, uh, you know, pillars, these aspects, special capabilities that women offer and that that women uniquely need to offer to, to humanity to make it full to make it good, that God created this from the beginning so that there might be something good. And and this is necessary for humanity. Receptivity, sensitivity, generosity, and maternity. And so receptivity is one of these that is, uh, we we can see this anytime with kids. You know, they scrape their knee and they run to mom. (laughs) They run to mom because dad will just say, ah, walk it off. Rub some dirt in it. Ah, oh, come on, that's not so bad. <laughs> it's hey, running sometimes down. Sometimes I do that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Depends on the kid. <laughs> the kid. The kid goes to mother. Why? Because mother will sit there and be receptive. She'll sit there and she'll look at the child and say, do you need this? Oftentimes the father, you know, is, uh, for lack of a better word, insensitive to it because he sits there and says, I don't think it's so bad. The mother can tell. The mother can sit there and say, I know if you're faking it. <laughs> I know if you just are, you're just looking for attention or if you really need tenderness and care. Mm-hmm. And then the mother pours out, and that's that generosity um, where she pours herself out for that child in that moment in which the father would say, well, I don't know what the problem is. 
and he doesn't see it. It's not his in his kind of scope. He doesn't recognize it. He doesn't have that sense. And so there's this maternity there, this motherhood that is different from fatherhood. And that it, and it really seeks out uh, to be tender to the children and to raise them up with this gentleness. Right? And this is one of these, all, all four of these characteristics, we see them exemplified in our Blessed Mother. And we see this over and again in the highlight of, if you said, what was these most powerful, most womanly things that you witness? And St. John Paul II just, I think, nailed these things, these abilities that women have that men don't have. There are a lot of abilities we share. There's a lot of overlap and a lot of Venn diagramming that we can do. But, in, and not that men are completely excluded from these, but they're not innate to us in that sense that they are in women. And so they aren't our wheelhouse. And so when we when we confront them, um, we kind of retract from them because we're, we're weary of them. But in that, we see women exemplifying them so well. And so one of the things that I think is very dangerous in St. John Paul II exemplif or, or brought to the forefront so well is that what happens when these things are absent? What happens in this world in which women do get pushed into this masculine, masculinity of, of trying to be equal, but equal by being the same as men. Mm -hmm. And we lose receptivity. We lose that sensitivity. We lose the generosity. We lose that maternity. And we've seen so many of these things in our society today. Our society lacks so many of these qualities. And St. John Paul II, prophetic in his time, said, no, we cannot have this light of greatness go out. Because this is half of humanity. This, this is the necessary half of humanity. It cannot be expressed. Humanity cannot be expressed without the feminine. And so there, there it stands. I'm, I still call myself a feminist. Like I've talked before on the podcast about how I felt a call to veil early on like in college. But I was like, well, that's dumb. I'm not going to be like, you know, subdued or ever or told what to do. The man's not depressed <laughs> and things like that. And I was like, why would I do that? Because that's what I was always told the veil meant, if that meant saying, it makes mm -hmm. any sense. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like I was always told women were made to wear this because they're lesser than, basically. And as I did, you know, later on, I kept having this call this you know to do this i was like why am i like why am i being why do i feel like this is something i'm supposed to be doing so i researched it more and i also looked you know as being um from you know judaic christians i looked at the jewish roots of veiling and why women in jewish culture veil and i looked at our our own church very all of our sacred things are veiled and so, and then so the more and more I looked at it, uh, the it's funny because I I will I will say that the feminist kept me from veiling, but then it ultimately is the feminist in me that's brought me to veiling, if it makes any sense. Because then I was like, women are important in the church. And I think a lot of times we're told that we're not, or we like are from outside forces, or even people who haven't been fully catechized in what women's role in the church is. And I think that John Paul II really starts bringing that forward. But then we also can, uh, a lot of times you hear, well, women are trying to be men. And I feel like that maybe that was, went that way, it's, but that wasn't where the start was. It was 
trying to be seen of human dignity. Like that's what really feminism started off with was that women had the right to vote or just see us as humans and not property. Basically, Mm -hmm. when we get down to it, that's where the feminist, like the feminist movement started maybe in the seventies and sixties, it kind of like veered off and has gone rampant since then. But like, if you really look at like child labor laws and trying to get children out of the factories and things like that, that's where feminism really started. Mm -hmm. And I think, but, but that, embodies everything that John Paul II, you know, the compassion there, the equality, equality in the sense, you know, even tonight when um, father came, we had dinner and my youngest son was having an argument about something being fair. And I said, the fairness isn't always equitable. <laughs> and so, and so just because you're not doing exactly the same things doesn't necessarily mean it's not fair. Sometimes things need to be different to meet somebody where they're at and so um and it doesn't necessarily mean that what one person is doing is less important right either. yeah and that's huge you know the the value of what we what we are contributing uh, and and this is brought out in many different ways that you know uh, what is a value to our existence you know what do we when we sit there at the kind of the end of our lives and we sit there and recalculate, what was it that I received? You know, masculine and feminine in my life. What did I receive? What was I not deficient in? And what do I value out of that? And, you know, uh, unfortunately, you know, if we really want to start talking about value of what is is essence to what our livelihood is, our lives are, we could honestly say that the, the work of men is one of the least valuable things. Uh, they go out there and they bring about, you know, and if we talk about in, you know, 100 years ago, traditional sense of, you know, 100 years ago, and they go out and do the work and they bring in the money. Well, they're, they're gone all the time and they all they come back with is money. That's the only thing they've brought back. Well, that's that's one of the least valuable things in the essence of life. When we sit there and talk about the end of our lives, money doesn't matter. It's the commodity of which we exchange for other things. And so, yes, it's kind of this necessary evil. But it's not a goodness in itself. Money is not a goodness. It is an exchangeable thing that we have to operate within our lives. It's like monopoly money. (laughs) It's that thing that we have to do to keep the game going. But that's not what the point of the game is. Actually, it is a monopoly. But it's not the point of most games. (laughs) It's just the currency. It's just the thing that keeps things flowing and moving. The real point of it all is, you know, when do we end... When do we come to the end of our lives? We're not going to sit there and say, man, you know what? I'm really thankful for my father who, who brought in uh, to my life, you know, $100,000. We're not going to sit back and think about all those memories we have of him coming in late at night and barely being a part of my life because he's off working so much. That's not a value. That's not of value. But I think that's exactly the point here is that saying, you know, when we, when our society has valued those things differently in the industrial age and the capitalistic age, we sit there and we, we focus on those things as that's the value, that's the benefit, that's the goal, get into the workforce. And of course, we can see the propaganda that tries to move in that direction and move society, just as you say, the dignity of the person, move them away to more, to more work. 
separating them from family and trying to get them to do these things. And then now we have more than ever, we have families, you know, working uh, both parents and then you have both parents working multiple jobs and then you have just this chaos of all sorts of things going crazy. And and where's the dignity of the persons? And again, St. John Paul II saw this and he said, the feminine genius cannot be lost here. In all this turmoil, in all this chaos, in all of this dust being kicked up. This cannot be lost. It's crucial, especially when we start talking about, you know, the complementarianism of the sexes. And this is one of my favorite words for Scrabble because it is this long. It <laughs> <laughs> covers the entire width of the board. My phone does not like it. It keeps telling me that complementarianism is not a real word or is not <laughs> yeah. spelled correctly. It won't give me any other choices. I would kind of agree with it. <laughs> it's kind of a made-up word, but it is so useful. It's kind of like German. They just make up words and they just keep adding on things to make the word mean more things. <laughs> But this this complementarianism, and which is kind of hard to say three times fast, is such a beautiful thing that has been present since the beginning, since the book of Exodus, and has been with the church ever since. And this has you know been brought out very strongly by Saint John Paul II when he starts talking about the feminine genius, because he sits there and says, you know, we we sometimes have this question of what is it that we come offering in in ourselves to the human experience and we come with the gifts that we have um now we'd say this is a model this is not you know in in a sense uh definitive and some people may be out there and say well this doesn't necessarily apply to me no but it does apply generally and it does represent things rather well and that's what saint john paul ii bringing out you can say oh well I, i know some men who are very receptive sure but it's one of those things, again, we can also learn and we can also create Venn diagrams, but but naturally bringing in. You know, I, I oftentimes with marriage prep couples talk about uh, what it was like in tribal times. You know, if we're just going back and we're thinking of the tribes in the middle of the woods and we're sitting here and saying that the men are going out to hunt the big beast. Why? Because they have strength. Why? Because they have faster reflexes. Why? Because they have the strength to haul back all of this, uh, the the meat. Um, They also put themselves in danger. Um, They have this courageousness about them because they know that in a sense they're replaceable, that they can go and put their lives on the line because the most important treasure, like you mentioned, which is most important is veiled, is back home, it's protected. What happens back in the village? That's where society happens. And what is happening in that society? The women are, are managing everything. As they're sitting there and the men are out doing hunting, the women are sitting there with all of the other things and they're making sure that all the needs of everyone is taken care of. After all, who out of the two sexes almost always remembers everybody's birthday? Is it your husband's? No. No. <laughs> Definitely no. I've never heard a single what I mean with marriage prep couple. This is a flat hands down. And said, why is it? Why is it that men never seem to remember these things? Now the women may say, Well, I'm not all that great myself. But you're better than the guy is. My husband's better at putting it in his phone so it reminds him though. Sure. Yeah. Right. He's got so, a, he's got he's got that down. We found the hack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're good at finding hacks for what we're weak in. But again, like this is one of those things. Women think about people and they think about the relationality between them. 
making sure that everyone is taken care of. What a beautiful thing for the fabric of society that would not happen. You know, if you just try to imagine two completely separate, just isolate, take, we're going to have a society of men, we're just going to have a society of women, and how would they turn out? And we all try to think of them as idyllic, but think about the weaknesses that they would have then. The beauty of this is that they work together and that the women are, are, are building the fabric of society there by taking care of, of, of the, the relationality in between the groups. Who needs something? Who's lacking something? Who doesn't? And so because of that, there is this compassion at play. It's compassion in action. And so it's taking form in these different ways. Um, the receptivity and listening to people and saying, I need to hear what you have to say. What do you need? Well, again, there's different functionalities. Um, one of the things that I thought was really brilliant is uh, this definition or this description of male brain versus female brain. Maybe you've heard of it. Male brain is like a, an arrow. It goes straight from point A to point B. Female brains work as a network, like a spider web. Mm. And because of that, um, that there's all of these different connections. Men just have this kind of just bullet that's straight. Now, I asked this other question of marriage prep couples. I said, so, I said, who can go to Walmart and with a list of three things, go and buy them and come out in five minutes? And the guys say, they throw their hands up, they're like, me, me, I'm the one, I'm the one. <laughs> Not her. I'm the one. They're very excited to participate. It's like, very good. Here's your cookie. Uh, I've done it twice. Yeah. In your I whole was, life. Yeah. <laughs> if I have my children with me, I'm usually a lot more like, okay, we, this is all we're doing. Yeah, because you don't want to spend much more uh -uh. time with more time exactly. than you have to with the kids. <laughs> right. But all things being equal. Yes, you know. but if it's just me, <laughs> especially while pregnant, but I've got a lot of good shopping. Oh, I forgot to put that on the list. It's, oh, I forgot this is the thing. So the men go in there and see it as a mission, A to B. I get this, I get out, I'm done, I've succeeded. But what women do is they do something different. And I say, I illustrate this to the men. I said, you think you've won here for a second, just hold on. Because I said, who, when you're packing for vacation, who packs more things, the men or the women? Father. You don't even have to ask. My arms are breaking here with all the things I have to carry. And I said, why? Because you probably have never asked why. Father, I ask why all the time. She doesn't have a reason. Okay, maybe because she's not putting it very well into words. But why do women pack more things? Because you never know what's going to happen. Exactly. Brilliant. Brilliant. Exactly. So again, men are thinking in that straight line logic, A to B. And they're not thinking of all the contingency plans that could happen. After all, if you're going to the beach or, or if you might possibly be going to the beach, then you're going to pack extra sunscreen. You're going to pack their uh, swimsuits. You're going to pack their little floaties. You're going to do all these things. Why? Because you think that there might be a possibility that you might. And if you don't, then you won't have a good time. And you, out of love, are planning for alternative possibilities. This is why I think if there's time travel, women are going to be the ones who are captain of the time travel machine <laughs> because there's no way to be able to navigate for men to be able to navigate possible futures as well as women are going to be able to. <laughs> that being said, there are times in which you need the, that, that straight line thinking, that A to B thinking. And there are times you need that network thinking. 
And oftentimes those coincide, even if not at the right same moment. So this is the beauty of this complementarianism is because it says both are really necessary. There are times you need to have somebody go in and get some items and then you get back on the road. You're stopping here. We've got a deadline to make. I'm sending in the guy. But if we're saying we're planning for a trip and we want to make sure everything's ready, well, then I'm sending in my wife. She's going to know what to get and make up contingency plans. So these two things work together so that the best outcome can happen. Because if only guy and we, if you've ever been around a group of guys, like let's say, <laughs> so when I was in college, I was in a fraternity. And uh, you take a group of guys, all sorts of chaos and things break loose. Why? Because we have no contingency plans. <laughs> we, just, we just go. We just go do things. And there are oftentimes a lot of consequences to deal with because we do not make plans for these things. That's a reality. So guys all alone on our own are not going to be able to have the best human outcome because we don't have the feminine genius. And that's, that, that's needed. That's an incorporation. And the same thing is true that when women are all by themselves, there is a lot of times a need to say, you know what? Could we just send somebody to go get that real quick for us? While we sit here, we'll, we'll sit here and we'll make the plans and we'll get all this other stuff done. But all I need is these few things before we leave for this trip. I want you to go run into the store and grab it. Because I know it'll take me two hours. <laughs> <laughs> And so we sit here and we say, you know what, we, we all have our weaknesses, mm -hmm. but we all have our strengths. When we play to our strengths and we mitigate those weaknesses, that's when we're really playing to our best. That's the fullness of humanity. And that's what God really has angled here is that the both are working together. And when we talk about the respect for the dignity, we're saying, you know, because this is kind of the point that the guys laugh at, you know, the, the store deal, and they'll be like, the, the, my wife takes forever. My, my girlfriend takes forever in there. Yes, but why? Don't disrespect her for why she's doing what she's doing. You know, again, you know, it's kind of that, that question. You knew she was a woman when you, when you fell in love with her. So you need to understand that. Um, one of the funny things that I ask women all the time, I say, uh, women, you don't believe me. And you don't believe your, your, your guy, but please try to trust a priest. Guys have a superpower, and it is that we can think of absolutely nothing at all. It really is. I wish I had that superpower what? sometimes. Really? It's really, really true. I'm not lying to you. And, and women do not believe it because your experience is that the moment you're, you wake nice. up in the morning, your brain does not shut off ever. Because you have the web. You have this web of consciousness, and as your brain is it's working exhausting. through all of these things, you think of many things all at once. It also allows you to navigate very well the chaos of children who also Man, work at many levels. I don't know very well. Is <laughs> better or worse than your husband? Depends. <laughs> this is why guys have duct tape. <laughs> we will duct tape the children to the wall because we have to mitigate them. So... In this, you know, you have this web of consciousness that it's going and it is active and because it is drawing all these connections. Guys have that, that straight line thinking. It's really important to us in tribal times because if our brains were working, we'd be distracted. So it shuts off so that we're able to focus. Just deadline, focus in. So that's why when you ask your husband, honey, what are you thinking about? <laughs> he says, uh, nothing. 
Liar. <laughs> You're probably thinking about that girl. <laughs> We've had this conversation. My husband and I was just like, how, how do you think of nothing? And then sometimes he'll come up with like, he won't be thinking of nothing. It'll just be some kind of completely off the wall, mm. nothing to do with anything. And, um, and he's just, and he'll tell me what it is. And it's like, actually, yeah, this is what I was thinking. You know, it's like, it's just kind of this well, weird. I was like, okay, well, thank you for fair. telling me that there's something in your brain Right now. <laughs> a lot of times if we ask that question, it's a trap. Because <laughs> you're supposed to be thinking about something specific. Yes, you are. <laughs> and we're not even smart enough. <laughs> we sit there like, yeah, she's just asking a nice question. <laughs> but you're already thinking many steps ahead on that network. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, there's a great cartoon out there where there's a woman, um, a woman in bed, a man in bed, and they're, they're sleeping, but they have their backs turned to each other, and she's turned clutching her pillow, and she's like, I, I wonder what he's thinking. It's probably about some woman. And he's over there and thinking, if a brontosaurus were to wear a necktie, does he wear it at the top or down at the bottom? <laughs> and you all would be terrified to find out how often we think about such things. And they're just as dumb and ridiculous as that. That's how our networks work. So just, I, I, I'm sorry to inform you all. It's really true. That's what we have. But in, in that sense, you know, you all, because you all have that network, and I explained this to the guys, because this network is working all the time, I said, you can absolutely go up to her and say, honey, is there anything I can help you with? She already has a list. Mm-hmm. She already has a list. And, and she can absolutely plug you into that network at any point. You can sit there and think, everything's done. I don't need to do anything. Everything is taken care of. Everything is settled. We're good. And it can look like that to him on the outside. He doesn't have that working. Again, there's these really important things and, and key attributes that as God sat there and formulated man and woman, he put us together not to be equals. In dignity, yes. But not in our abilities, not in our capacities. If he did, then it would just be duplication and unnecessary repetitiveness. Mm-hmm. Instead, he sat there and said, no, you know what? I'm going to take humanity and I'm going to Break it into two equal halves. But these halves in themselves are not the same. And when they come together, it is like that little friendship bracelet, the little <laughs> friendship locket that fits together. And when we hear Jerry Maguire, you complete me. It is the realest sense of the word. It's the realest sense of it. I haven't seen that movie. Neither have I. Oh. <laughs> it is a very old reference, and maybe your audience is too young and hip. <laughs> This is this is this kind of beauty. So when we bring up and we say, you know, how did St. John Paul II envision for this to be um, in the role of the church? He envisions it just as much as he envisions in marriage. He says all of the skills and abilities need to be used properly and say, we don't need to sit there and duplicate anything. Just as like God sit there and said, we don't need to duplicate these things. We don't just need to carbon copy things. We don't just need to have the same. He said, this is one of the things. Pope Francis got out of the Synod. He made one of the craziest beelines for a reporter. It's as if he just ran screaming out of the Synod. And he's like, give me a reporter. And he just grabbed up to him and just basically shook him. Because immediately after the synod ended, 
this were this this reporter had this out just immediately. Pope Francis was saying to him, he said, "There is not going to be a woman priesthood. Why? It didn't work for the Lutherans." <laughs> <laughs> he totally threw the Lutherans under the bus. He said the Lutherans tried it. It failed them. They are still closing churches. They are still declining. They are still not doing it. It, did, it solved nothing. And he said, because they didn't respect women. It's not just about duplication. Jesus could have chosen. We could We could sit back and say, objectively, in our mindset, who was the more faithful? Who was the more devoted? Who was the more dedicated? Who had less problems? Mary, the mother of God. <laughs> Mary Magdalene. The other Mary. They were out there, up there at the cross. They were up there, you know, ignoring all the danger, ignoring all the problems. They were sensitive. They were receptive. That they were generous. They were maternal. They were up there because nothing else mattered. Look at all of the great women saints of the church. They stand as these beacons in the night of all this darkness because they project all of this. And if you want to say, oh, well, what about Joan of Arc? Even Joan of Arc. You sit there and say, oh, well, no, she was being, um, she's in a manly role. No, she absolutely took her femininity to the fullest. And she sat there and she brought everything to the front. And this is the thing. When St. John Paul II had his motto. It was totus tuus. All yours. And this is the thing. We've been given these gifts. They should be all yours, O Lord. They should be at the service of our brothers and sisters, all of them. And so we sit there and we say, what is it that I have that is strong within me? What are my strengths? What are these gifts I've been given? And I should strengthen them. And I should mitigate my weaknesses. And if somebody else is to be my strength in that, then be my strength. We have to be humble enough to let someone else be our strength when we're weak. Because otherwise we are in this pridefulness. And that's the downfall of all of these different aspects. Uh, how these good movements get twisted into bad movements. Well, even within the church, these arguments among the women about who stays home and who goes to work, which one's better. Mm -hmm. And they're both good because mm -hmm. the women who are working are using their gifts the way their that they womanhood. need to. And, and their womanhood. And the women who are staying home are using their gifts. And both mm -hmm. are good. And it's like, but there's always this like little like, oh, but they have to bicker. And, mm -hmm. but they're both good. I mean, even Pope John Paul II, in his little thank you letter to women, it even says, thank you, women who work. And mm -hmm. I, I know so many friends who feel the church people, like we go to conferences and stuff, people start talking about the, the role of women. It always turns to the home, which the right. home is important. But they, a, a lot of my friends will feel very like, like they're pushed off to the side because they're working mothers. Right. And they're just as important. And what they do is just as important. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and let's just think back, um, not even that long ago. Um, let's just think back to, let's take a good Oklahoma Anoki example, the farmstead. Mm -hmm. All right. Let me tell you, was it not the, that women were working? <laughs> that women were out mm -hmm. there 
that they were also milking the cows, that they were also out there cutting the heads off of chickens and, uh, and defeathering them, that they were not out there slaughtering pigs. I mean, what kind of fantasy do we live in? What kind of idyllic idea do we have? Did anybody read Little House on the Prairie? <laughs> I mean, come on. This, you, it's, it's this kind of acting that there were not jobs or that, oh, well, there was always just the vacuum cleaner and that she was supposed to stay at home and vacuum the floor. What? No. The, the, the farm job, Jordan Peterson, I think, did, however you feel about him either way, but he did a wonderful job in his speech when he sat there and said, for almost all of humanity, we have been scratching to just get by. We have been just pouring ourselves utterly, just trying to survive. And men and women have been doing everything just to survive. He says, this is nonsense, this kind of hypothetical idea about some kind of past that absolutely didn't exist. He said, we have been working together, men and women, for this just to survive, just to engage, just to get by. Only in our present age do we have enough luxury to have fantasy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is, this is just one of those things that we have all these weird nonsenses about us. So when we start to ask the question, you know, and how do we live? Always, let's go back to the models. We see that our Blessed Mother gives us such a model. Did she just stay in the home? No. She was out there. We see it, not only during the Passion. We see her that she's called out when Jesus is healing the lep- or the, the lame man who's pulled down through the ceiling tiles. Mm-hmm. Your mother is outside. She, you know, she has come for you, you know, and she's coming out into the streets and she's coming out of the place. And what did a queen do? The queen mother didn't just stay behind and just sit in this floofy palace. She was with the people and she went out. So if we sit there and say, what did our blessed mother do? She exemplified all of these things. So women, look to our blessed mother and and let her be a model for you. Not of some kind of subjectivity, but as a model of a witness to true femininity. This what the world needs, a great witness to what is woman that humanity might be holding. And as always, thank you for joining us. Thanks. Thank you. Join us again in two weeks. Until then, may God bless you and may Mary accompany you. Coffee and Catholics is a proud partner of the Smart Catholics Podcast Network. Find new shows to love, meet like-minded Catholics, and join the community at smartcatholics.com.